Ronananian, made with their patent, patented, I can't say that, the patented, the patented, the patented pronunciation is very important in radio, one of the first things I learned. Just remind us next week, we'll change the batteries in your tongue before you get on the air. The car doctor. The littlest Anenian came home from grad school this weekend. She says, oh, by the way, I need gas. And I got in her car, and I said, your gas gauge is broken. She said, no. I go, yeah, it's on E. And I'm thinking, no kid of mine would ever run around with a gas tank on E. She said, no, look at the little tripodometer. It says I have 19 miles to go. <sighs> Welcome to the radio home of Ron Anenian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in, sit down. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at your service at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions as we have these past 25 years on radio, beginning our 26th year here as we're, uh, you know, quarter of the way into 2016. Boy, time just sure flies. Um, you know, where's this year going? It uh, just kind of, you know, like I always say, life is uh, life is like cheap underwear. It just kind of creeps on by, you know. It, uh, here we, and we'll be into 2017 soon. But um, in any event, 855-560-9900 is the Car Doctor phone number. That number is 24-7. It's uh, you got a messaging service attached to it. So if you should call it, 855-560-9900. And we're not on the air. We are live uh, as we begin our trek across the radio network here in America, uh, Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. If we're not on the air, leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and line you up in queue for the following week. And we can talk about your car problem here on radio because that's really what this radio show is about. We want to talk to you because you get an education, I get an education, and all the listeners get an education. And that's what we're trying to do is help the masters feel better and uh, deal better with their automobiles because they're just so gosh darn important to us. Is uh, And it seems like they're getting more important as we go forward because they're getting so very, very complex and um, just something to be aware of. So, by the way, anybody that calls in makes it on air this hour, and this is an interview-free hour. We actually had an interview scheduled down around the bottom of the hour, but we dumped it because we want to get as many people on air this hour as we possibly can. Everybody that makes it on air is getting a Ron Anini and the Car Doctor T-shirt. If you want to see a picture of it, get out to the Car Doctor page, Ron Anini and the Car Doctor and um, we want to uh, give them away this hour. Uh, we did last hour. We're doing that this hour. And um, be mindful of that. So, yeah, Tom. I was just going to say, you know, in addition to being a great a great item, a great T-shirt, you can impress people because you listen to Ron and Anian. It hides Harry. It's great. Yeah, it's a <laughs> so be nice. So you guys have to play nice on the other side of the glass. But uh, no, we, no, we don't. No, uh, we don't. Yes, well, in any event, let's get over and uh, let's kick open the garage doors, Tom. What do you say we start with Bill on line one, Oradell, New Jersey, and see what's going on here? Bill, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, hi, Ron. How yes, are you, Good. Bill? Yes, sir. Uh, I have a 2015 Toyota Camry. I bought it November 2014, and a week ago I had a loud noise in the rear of the car. I thought I hit something. I can find no damage on the car. Then I heard a rattle in my trunk. Opened the trunk up, and those torsion bars that go across the back of the trunk right. were broken. Okay. They snapped off at the ends. So consequently, when you pop the uh, 
the, the rear lid, and you have to be careful closing it because there's a lot of weight on that rear lid. Right. So, so I bring it to the dealer. Right. And they tell me, uh, oh, it might not be covered under warranty. I says, what are you talking about? The car's 14 months old. It's got about 14,000 miles. Well, Toyota won't want to pay for it. They think that people are abusing it. I says, I don't have much in this trunk. All I do is carry my grandkids' school bags or some groceries. Yeah, who's telling you this, Bill? Is this is this a service writer telling you this, or is this... The service manager at the Toyota dealer. So I, I told the guy, I says, look, while I'm here, why don't you make a phone call to somebody about this? Because I don't want to pay for 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 this job. Yeah, three years, so, bump, three uh, years, wait, Bill, three years bumper-to-bumper coverage, right? That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. So... Oh. Go ahead. So anyway, he, he comes back to me and says, look, I have to put in a, a product safety recall letter. I'm going to get the parts in a week or so, and I'm going to call you. Well, he hasn't called me yet. I put a call in for him. He never returned my phone call. So I'm wondering uh, what else should I do or what should I prepare for? I, this, would, uh, I would be looking in the owner's manual, Bill, and I would call Toyota Corporate out in Torrance, California. And, mm-hmm. it, and and I would All take right. I would take the position of three years bumper to bumper, as far as you're concerned, the trunks between the bumpers isn't that covered, and and right. that's the bottom yeah. line. I know there's I know there's some specific things in that coverage they don't cover brake pads or tires wearing out and things like that, but right. th- this is a body part, and yes. you know unless there's signs of abuse, mm-hmm. unless there's signs of you know, you were carrying firewood in the trunk of your car, which would be easy for the service manager or the service tech to determine the splinters and the debris that would be left behind. If there's no yeah. physical marks, um, I think what they're doing is, in my opinion, I think they're preparing you to double dip, for lack of a better way to put it. I think they're going to yeah. charge it back to Toyota, and they're going to charge you, and that nonsense goes on all day long. Mm-hmm. Just have a, you ever heard of these torsion bars breaking on these new cars not on bre- any model? Not breaking, but around 2012, 2013, it started on some of the Camrys and Corollas where there are complaints that the torsion bars are actually not strong enough to lift or hold up the trunk lid once you unlatch it. So, oh, I see. And then there are ways, there's conversation, I think there's an adjustment there, there's conversation about how they've cranked up the adjustment, and my suspicion is that maybe when this car was assembled, or maybe this is a true defect and this is a, this is a coming problem for Toyota, that they weren't adjusted properly or they were made too tight and, you know, just sitting there. I mean, think about it. How often do you open your, your, your trunk lid, Bill? Right. Well, once a day, maybe it depends. Right. Going shopping, putting right. stuff in the car. You know. It's... You know. Most of the time, those those torsion bars are in the wound, tight position. So my suspicion is that something here wasn't adjusted properly, and it's a true defect. I'm I'm stunned that they would come out and sit there and say it may not be under warranty. Uh, right. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm waiting to hear from from them, but right. I'm I'm wondering, you know, what may happen. And ask them. You know what? Show me the physical damage. Show me the part where I abuse this, and I'd be willing to pay for it. Give me a reason. But mm-hmm. uh, if they don't, I would talk to California. I would talk to the service department and say, listen, this will be the last car you see me buy, because that's nonsense. That really is. Yeah. All right. Would you Why call me back? Are these new, 
But why are these new cars weighted so much on the rear lid? I don't understand. I had a 2002. It, you just popped it. It was nice and easy, and you close it. Well, now I, it, it drops like a dead weight. You right. Know, when you close. It. Right. They're not the the torsion bars are not strong enough to hold the lids up, and that's what I'm hearing in a lot of cases, which makes me wonder uh, why did that pop? Why did that come loose? And that doesn't that mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense either. Let's let's see till they, let's wait till they fix it, Bill. Let's see what they do. Okay. And then we'll talk from there. Stay on the line. We want to send out a Ron and a Car Doctor T-shirt to you. Let Harry get your information, and uh, we'll be glad to send that out to you this way. Maybe that'll help alleviate some of the pain and remind you we want to hear the end result of this. We'll uh, we'll hold trial and jury up here on national radio for Toyota and see what they do about this. That uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense, and I'm hoping they do the right thing. Let's go over and talk to Charles Line Two. Homedale, New Jersey, and some questions about uh, car parts. Charles, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yeah, hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I'm calling. I just had a quick question for you. My, my wife had a 2007 uh, Lexus RX 350, which uh, we uh, traded in a few weeks ago. But uh, on, the, on the engine on that car, I noticed, uh, you know, uh, when I'm filling up the window wash and stuff, that all the clamps that hold the holders on and ends of clamps Everything rusted, rusting through. Now she also had a. Now she has a 2012 RX 350, and the same thing starting to happen again. All the clamps are rusted, rusted. I don't mean just you know surface rust, rusting through. Huh. Uh, I have I have older cars. And I have a 2005 Chrysler 300, and nothing is rusted. Everything looks like you know the, the day I bought it. I'm just are they also clamps inferior? Or, uh, there's something different about them. It makes you wonder. Yeah, you'd have to say that they weren't treated properly, or they're they're a product of of, of design. I can't think of anything else other than that, Charles. I mean, as a rule, I haven't noticed that. I do notice there are some cars that when people talk to me about what to buy and not to buy, I will tell them, like, for example, if we were having a conversation about Mazda, my, right. my, my opinion as a humble mechanic these past many years, I have not seen Mazdas improve in terms of their ability to resist rusting. And you show me a new Mazda and show me that same car five, six years later, and it's rusted in places that normal cars are not. And, right, that's what I'm seeing. Right. They're rusting in places yeah. that I don't see on other cars. Yeah, now. it's it's now if Lexus is starting to do this, that makes me scratch my head. Of course, Lexus is part of Toyota, and based on our last caller telling me that the torsion bars for his trunk lid fell out on right, uh, right. a year old car, it makes me wonder what's going on over at Toyota. But um, I have not seen that as a hard failure, Charles. I have not I have right. not seen that as a constant observation. But I will keep an eye on it. But I'll tell you this, if it helps ease your pain, and I'm glad to be able to do this today, stay on the line. Fast Harry's going to send you out a Ron and Andy in the Car Doctor t-shirt, and we'd, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd be very much obliged if you'd uh, feel proud enough to put that on for us and uh, um, you know, tell everybody who you listen to on the radio. Thanks again, Charles. We'll talk to you again real soon. I'm Ron and Andy in the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Keep in mind that that number is 24-7. Call, leave a message if we're not live on the air. And Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back, line you up for the next time we're here. And uh, together, you and I can talk about your car problem and help educate the rest of the country. And I guess everybody around the world, they have to start thinking and have to think globally, right? We've got listeners in Australia. We've got listeners in Spain. Uh, we hear occasionally from a gentleman in Dubai. 
Uh, we've got a couple of people in Ireland. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I can't forget the folks in London. I don't want to leave anybody out, right? We've got the, the gang over in London that listens to us in the pub. So, um, you know what, I guess we could go on a car doctor road trip. We would probably be back, uh, I don't know, two weeks from last month. So let's uh, let's get on over and talk to, let's go talk to Ron. I've always wanted to talk to myself. I didn't know I was in Wethersfield, Vermont. Ron, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, how you doing, sir? Good. What's going on? I've got a uh, 2007 Chevy uh, Silverado. Okay. And it's got a 4.8 engine in it. Right. A four-speed auto. And uh, it's driving me up a tree because it won't start at times. I can go two or three days and start it. I can go out the third day, and it won't start. Okay. Now, I've spent a number of hours and money at repair shops, local Chevy dealer, and the district office for GMC. Nobody has a clue as to what was wrong. I'm wondering how they're diagnosing it, Ron. Do they give you any indication? Do they talk about any of the tests that they're doing? Uh, they do an alternator test, a fuel pump uh, pressure test. Why Why are they doing, and boy, if you could see the look on my face right now, I'm bewildered. Why are they doing a fuel pump pressure test and a charging system test? Well, I understand the charging system test, actually. Why are they doing a fuel pump pressure test on a car that the battery goes dead on? Well, I don't know if they figure something shorted out or, or something. I, I just can't figure it out myself, and they uh, say it's a normal procedure. Okay. What do you do What, what, what do you do you for a living, Ron? I'm retired. What would you do? Uh, bell system. Uh, telephones. Correct. Okay. So, you know, you know what I'm going to ask you, right? An electrical draw test? Yes. You familiar with what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. So why haven't they done a draw test? A local... Um, uh, auto parts store did. Okay. And as they did it, it would start out at 14 amps and then would slowly recede downward. Okay. And and where would it go? And how did they do this draw test? They disconnected a battery cable and put a digital voltmeter. That's correct. Okay. And they got it down to an to under an acceptable draw. Correct, sir. Okay. Now, and, like I said, I've changed two or three batteries. Yeah, that's not the answer. Um, so what I've got to make an assumption of is something is staying alive, all right? Something is something is on. There, there's an intermittent drain or draw. Any aftermarket Any aftermarket accessories in this vehicle, or is it all stock stuff? No, um, it came with a uh, edge programmer, and I have a uh, satellite radio on it. Okay, an aftermarket radio. Correct. All right. If, have you tried disconnecting that radio from its power source for for a short time to see if the draw goes away or the failure after, goes away? After the first two incidents, I've disconnected everything when I get out of the vehicle. Okay. When it doesn't start, you turn the key on. Do you have dash lights, or is this truck stone dead? No, I uh, I get dash light and I have dome light. Okay. So you have lights, but you turn the key and nothing happens. Correct. All right. Then how do you get the truck started? Well, I have to get my charger out and charge it for a spell, and then it'll start. All right. Have you tried the the old-age trick of turning on the headlights to see how bright they are? Uh, no, I haven't tried that because they're normally bright when I first uh, get in and turn the key. Okay. Have you tested battery voltage at the moment when it doesn't start? 
to see. Not, not myself, no. Okay. And, well, did somebody else, did the dealership do it, or did the parts store do it? Uh, the dealership did, uh, because I've asked them if they had tried that. Well, but, but did they actually, you know, what I'm trying to get to is you go out there, you turn the key, you go to crank, you have dash lights. Has anybody caught it in the act where they can then at that moment go and measure battery voltage? No, uh, unfortunately, I left it at my local repair uh, shop for three days. And he went out twice a day, and it started right off. Okay, here's what I, I want. Here's what I, I want somebody to do. All right, let's let's cut to the chase because this. And, and again, from my seat here, I've got to make a judgment call. And mm-hmm. my job as a technician is to get to the middle of the problem as fast as I can, so I can get to the end of the problem. What I'd like to see somebody do is go find the solenoid feed wire at the starter. All right? Trace it back. Find a convenient location. I want them to wire in a 194, that's the part number, a 194 side marker bulb into that harness. Side marker bulb? Side marker bulb. You know, like a a, a parking light bulb. Okay. Okay? Um, We use 194s because they're small and they're relatively cheap and the, the, the harnesses are relatively cheap. Uh, and basically what I want them to do is I want it wired in so that when you start the truck, when you put the truck in crank mode, that bulb lights up. Okay. All right? So for the next two weeks, if that bulb lights up every time, we know it's got power down to the starter, and they can put that bulb anywhere. They can wire that bulb so it's you know, somewhere conveniently where you can see it in the passenger compartment, or you can mm-hmm. wire it under the hood. And when the truck finally dies, is the bulb lit or not? Okay. All right? When that truck doesn't start, first question, is that bulb lit? If that bulb is lit, then we have signal to the starter. My next step would be to check connection at the starter on the heavy battery cable. Is it corroded? You're in Vermont. Lots of salt, lots of corrosion. Correct. All right? Lots of rust. What does it look like on the starter stud? Are we are they being fooled into thinking this is a battery issue when in doubt it's it's a starter that's got an intermittent open or failure going on? If that or bulb a dead, if, or a dead spot. Or a dead spot. If that bulb is not lit, call me back and then we'll talk about what to do next because that'll be step two. All right, Ron. Hey, stay on the line, Ron. Fast Harry's gonna get your information. We want to send you out a Ron and the Car Doctor T shirt. And uh, we'll be saying that along during the coming week. And by all means, you give us a call back. Let us know how we uh, how we did. And we'll continue this diagnosis. I'm Ron and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Hey, Ron and the Car Doctor here. 855-560-9900. Rolling along. Let's keep it going. We've got a bunch of calls backed up. Everybody wants that Car Doctor T-shirt today. Anybody that calls in and makes it to air gets one. Let's start off with Dave in Franklin, Maine. Some questions about his Elantra. Yes, Dave, how can I help you, sir? Hi, Ron. How are you today? Good. What's going on? Okay, I've got a 2014 Elantra that I drive about 50,000 miles a year on the absolute worst roads in the country, anywhere from 10% highways, uh, 60% two-lane highways, bad roads, fire roads, gravel roads, 
and I'm trying to, I need a set of tires, trying to see what are the best tires I can put on this car that's going to give me the the gas mileage, the performance, and, and a little bit of longevity. The, the original equipment stuff wore out about 30,000 miles. Yeah, what, so I'm what, just looking for some answers. What'd they have on there originally, Dave? One of those Nikons or something like yeah, that, whatever they yeah, put on yep. there. And, you know, it's a funny thing. When you look at tires and what to buy, sometimes the most expensive isn't the best. It doesn't always work like that. And, you yep. know, somebody like you that's, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, you're a little tough on tires. You're on all kinds of roads, as yeah. you admit. Uh, you know, you're, you're all over the place. I think it's also about bang for the buck. And, okay. y- you know, you're, you're looking at that if you got 50000 out of the tires and, you know, they didn't last as much as the 70,000-mile tire, but you paid half the price, you're ahead of the game. And, yeah, and, and, okay. And, and, and that's really there. And what I'm going to tell you is I, I really do like the general tire. I really do like, okay. like, like for example, their Ultimax RT43. Um, and it's, it's not that it's a cheap tire. It's not that it's a lesser quality tire. It's just that you don't need to spend stratosphere price tags to get a good quality tire today there's a lot of engineering that goes into a general tire um you know some of the things i like about them they've got an early warning alignment indicator it's a little tab on the outer edge of the tire that as the tire goes down the road depending upon how it wears it will you can look at it and decide hey is my car in alignment and it, it it's the nice thing is you will know by looking at this before you get bald tires on the outside edge, whether or not it's out of a line, it's it, it's important. They've got they've got something called PASD, Peak Anti Slip Design Technology, where they've actually made more edges of the tread to give more biting surface for better traction under tough conditions. And it's those okay. little things that just make it a better tire. You can find more. I won't I won't bore you with all the details, Dave, but you can find more at generaltire.com. And okay. I'll just I'll just suggest that you take a look there and uh, stay on the line. Let Fast Harry get your information. We're giving away a Ron and Andy in the Car Doctor t-shirt today and we'll be glad to have you uh you know wear one for us and uh, we'll get that out to you right away. So uh enjoy your t-shirt and hopefully enjoy your General Tires. Let's go over to Frank Congress New York 2002 Ford Explorer. Frank, Ron and Andy in the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Is Frank there? Frank's gone. Uh-oh. What happened to Frank? Frank is gone. You know, well, that happens. Listen, um, you know what? Sometimes we get that, and sometimes it. Uh, sometimes we don't expect it when we least expect it. Let's do a quick piece of email. Uh, oh, no, we've got him back. Is he there? Let's go over and uh, is someone there on the phone? One minute. So you know what? I get to talk for one minute. How you like that? Well, you know, here's the deal. Let's do a quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, I listen on our local podcast on our local station here in Bangor, Maine, and I've got some questions about my 2000 Dakota that's developed an engine noise recently. And I'm wondering if you could give me some next steps to determine what the noise is and how to proceed. And the conversation goes, I'll give you as much information as I can. And this is a probably a three-page email. Let's, uh, let's cut this down to, uh, I'll tell you what, better yet, Frank's back. Let's go talk to Frank. We'll save this email doing? for the end of the hour. Hey, Frank, what's going on? A little bit of technical difficulty there. We uh, On live radio, you've got to think quick. That's fine. Those things happen. What yeah. are you going to do? I, go- you know, I work with uh, over in Rockland. I've been on Who Wants to Be a Volunteer. I'm a volunteer fireman. I've done that in a Friday afternoon. So y- You know what happens. What's, it, you know what, what what's going on, Frank? Okay, 2002 Ford Explorer. I got no heat. Heat was working fine. I left from uh, Rockland uh, over to Greenwich. Got in the car when my wife came home, had no heat. 
What I'm understanding is behind the dashboard, there's a flapper door that closes and opens for the heat. Correct. I'm doing some research on how to get to it rather than take care of the whole dashboard. Have you ever replaced one of those? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, if, 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 if it's the door I'm thinking about, the blend door actuator or the blend door itself, the dashboard right. has to come apart. There are some companies out there, if you Google search blend door replacement, or blend door replacement without dashboard removal, depending on how you want to word it. There are some companies out there making kits that allow you to basically, and depends on the application, it's not every vehicle, that allow you to use a Dremel tool, cut away the evaporator case, section it out, slide a piece out, slide a piece in, and then they give you a means in the kit to put the patch panel back in, keeping in mind that you want to make as neat a cut as possible because what you take out is what you're going to use to go back in the case along with whatever right. means they give you to seam seal it or seal it back to the case. Right. So We were uh, looking know. at, we were looking at um, myself and uh, my friend of mine that we uh, do some work, we were looking at possibly pulling out the radio and getting it that way. You may, but if it hasn't been done, and I'll tell you what, here's where I would go look at YouTube to see if anybody else has done it, because as as hard as it is to uh, comprehend maybe sometimes for some people, trust me, you're not the first guy to think of it. Um, if you are, you right. could patent it. But if it's not there on YouTube, I would think it wouldn't work. I mean, listen, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt anything to try, and it's surely right, the first right, step. Right. You know, cutting the dash or cutting the EVAP is not uncommon. Some of the car companies do okay. it. Jeep does it. Chrysler does it. Chrysler has a kit for it on some of the Jeeps because the Jeeps are so abysmally difficult to remove. The whole dashboard has to come out. So, right. but by all There's means, a little you know, plastic piece. Yeah, it's a little plastic piece on the where the the door connects to, and that dries out and breaks. It cracks. Right. And that's correct. not enough happening. Yep. Yeah, and you hear click, 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 click when you turn on the heat. Now that now that's not to say the actuator itself isn't bad either. This might not be a door. Right. This could be an actuator. So right. what I would okay. tell you to do is I would I you know if it was in the shop it'd be a different conversation. We'd hook a scan tool oh, up and using sure. using sure. bidirectional control. We'd try to move the flap. What can we do? And are we getting any kind of body codes or gem module faults? Right. But right. what I would right. tell right. you to do is if you can get to the actuator. Pull the actuator off. How does the door okay. feel? Does the door right. feel broken? Does the door feel like it's stripped on its mounting? And if that's the case, then the right. door has to be replaced. If not, it's an actuator. The, the, the whole door. I know what you're saying. Uh, right. I think it's just that plastic piece because we did one in another car, and I said, oh, my God, another one. Look yeah. what's going on here. Yeah, not but, unusual. Not I, unusual. Hey, Frank, stand. I know. I know. And we came, we came from Greenwich, Connecticut, over, to, over that night with Mom. And uh, my wife, and uh, she was bundled up like she was doing tobogganing. You well, know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll tell you what. What we're going to do is we're going to send you out something that might keep you a little bit warmer. Is let's send out a Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor T-shirt to you. Stay on the line, fast. Harry will get your information. And uh, by all means, like I said, go Google search door replacement without dash removal and see what you come up with. And uh, let me know how you make out, Frank. Glad to take the call. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. We're back right after this.
Welcome back. Ron and Danny, the car doctor, kind of discoing away this afternoon as uh, we get the uh, get the job done. Let's go over and talk to Isaac, LaCrosse, Wisconsin, 855-560-9900. Isaac, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. I just got a pretty simple question maintenance-wise. So 2004 Volkswagen Jetta, uh, just a 2.0 regular engine. It's got 193,000 miles on it right now. Right. Um, it's been doing all right. Question is... Um, trying to do a good job with keeping up on the maintenance. Um, and however, I was considering doing a transmission fluid flush on it and kind of taking a look at that. Um, on that vehicle, though, it's sealed off, so I can't really check it. So I just I want to kind of get your opinion, you know, because I've heard back and forth, you know, on higher mileage vehicles, if you do a flush, you can cause damage. Um, that whole debate going back and forth. The way I would do this, you know, let me ask you this, Isaac. Are you the original owner on the car? No, I've had it for four or five years now. All right. What mileage did you buy it at? I bought it at 152, so I put around 30, 40 on it. Okay. What'd you pay for it? Well, I paid 3,800. Okay. So at this point, the car doesn't owe you a nickel. Exactly. Exactly. Bottom line. So, you know, there's a couple of perspectives here, and only you can make this decision, and I, I, believe me, I go through this all week long. Yes, changing trans fluid on an older high-mileage anything, Volkswagen not excluded from that, can be an issue. The reason is trans automatic transmission fluid is a very high detergent fluid. It will scrub varnish and particulate off the walls of the trans and, it can kick up it can kick up the muck, so to speak, and and create issues. However, nothing lasts forever. And mm-hmm. at, at some point it's it's gotta get changed or you're headed for a trans. Now I would tell you that, you know, yeah, there are ways you can check the fluid condition, and one of the key factors in deciding whether or not you should do this would be to look at the fluid condition. Because if the fluid is that dank and dark and dirty, it, you're headed for a trans anyway, you might as well do it and see if you can help it and, and get yeah. a little bit of longer life out of it. Uh, you know, are there any performance issues with the trans at this point? Trans is running fine. No, no, no I mean, everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, just, well, everything works. And so I just, it's just the, the concept of I want to keep it that way, right, so what do right. I do? Like, yeah, I would, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dice roller, Isaac. I, I look at fluid condition, and if it's reasonably clean, you know, even if it's borderline, on the fringe of going to the dark side, so to speak, no pun intended, I would change the fluid because, first of all, I want to change the fluid, and then I'm going to monitor how the trans reacts for the next couple of weeks because I I want to be prepared. I want to know that I gave that 200,000-mile trans every opportunity in the world to survive. And if I can make it past three, four weeks with no check engine lights and slipping issues and shifting issues and anything else transmission-wise, I got away with it, and it worked. And then I would put it on a regular maintenance plan and, and, and drive it until it did fail, understanding that it is 200,000 miles and, you know, old age could take it six months from now. Anything's possible. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, maintenance, just as I always have said, maintenance just puts the odds and, and the tables in your favor. It doesn't prevent you from the gremlin. So if it were me, I would look at fluid condition and I would be mindful if the fluid is that dirty that hideous that it's just frightful to change you got to think about replacing the trans before it does if you want to keep the car because chances are if you did the trans early you would you would have less damage 
and not get stuck somewhere and go through that aggravation. And if the okay. fluid if the fluid is, you know, cleaner, then changing it now can only help. And like I said, I'm a gambler. I tend to I tend to err to the side of caution. I would tell you to change yeah. the fluid after you look the condition. And if you did change it, because, I mean, I, I've heard, you know, some people hook it up to a machine that blows all that out, and I've heard other people say, no, it's better just kind of let it drain out on its own and then re- replace it. I guess I would a do a specific way to kind of lessen that possible impact? Yeah, I would do it. I would do this in stages. If I'm changing it, my first time through, I would do a drain and fill so that, okay. you know, if, for example, there's eight quarts in this system, maybe I'm going to get three, maybe four quarts out. So I'm going to dilute it down and, and, and not do a complete exchange, and then I would drive it for five to 8,000 miles. But definitely by 10,000 miles, I would do a complete exchange at that point. Okay. And then I would put it on a regular diet of regular maintenance and, 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 and so forth. But, yeah, doing it a little bit at a time, it's it's sort of like when you first get up in the morning, you're in shock. So is the car. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's let it wake up. Hey, Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. Isaac. I'm sorry. Isaac. Stay on the line. Let let Fast Harry. We've talked to so many people today. Let Fast Harry get your information. We're going to send you out a Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor t-shirt, and uh, we'd be uh, happy if you take a picture of it. Take a picture of yourself standing next to the car with the t-shirt on. We'll put it up on the Car Doctor Facebook page. I'm Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor. I am back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Amy, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Real quick, we're going to squeeze in two. Bob, Phillipsburg, New Jersey. you got 60 seconds, Robert. What's going on? Uh, good afternoon. I just wanted to let you know I've been uh, talking to you since 1996. Yeah, isn't that, a few years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 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 Yep. Anyway, on the 1965 Volkswagen Beetle, uh, I want to see uh, what's the best to clean out the gas tank. Uh, you got rust issues, Bob? No. Um, and what are you saying? Just it was older fuel. It was varnished. Uh, there was never uh, uh, when I got the car. There hasn't been gas in the tank for quite a while. Okay. Then the first thing I would tell you to do is find a local radiator shop that can boil gas tanks, uh-huh. and, and let them go through and boil it. The concern I'm going to have is the inside of the tank rusted, or corroded, or decaying at all, requiring that it might have to be coated. They make some um, like a liquid liner that will basically be poured into the tank once it's clean and act as a sealer so that the decay doesn't rust or continue and obviously make leaks. But the the bigger problem is rust breaks apart and gets into the fuel system and goes into the carburetor, and you know what kind of havoc that's going to create. Yeah, so, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's that's how I would approach it. Hey, Bob, stay on the line. Let Fast Harry get your information, and we'll send you out a Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor T-shirt. I said we were going to do two this segment. Let's go over and talk to Rob, Farallon, New Jersey. Rob, you got a minute. What's going on? Well, you, you touched base on the three-year-old uh, AAA batteries. Last week, they only yep. last three years. Yep. I, I could like to confirm that because I put a couple batteries in, they only lasted three years. Now, Ron, if you put two identical cars side-by-side, one battery has more cranking amps. Will it spin faster 
Then one with the five, let's say five fifty cranking amps. No, it's uh, the, the electrical motor is only going to draw what it needs. So it's the idea that it's the reserve capacity of the battery in terms of strength and how long it could keep up. The duration of how long it could keep up cranking that starter motor might vary side by side. So that's you know that's part of the equation too. Key things to remember when you're buying a battery, Rob, and I say this all the time. Bigger is really better, but it's also just as important, you know, not necessarily, I know people that are buying 1,000 cold cranking amp batteries that aren't seeing the performance out of them, and one of the things you've got to think about is you can go so big that the alternator is always working hard to kind of bring that up to speed. Remember, electrical, a lot of electrical issues are based on demand and what things will draw and how they will react to each other. So reasonable cold cranking amperage of battery. In terms of, you know, if, if they're looking for 650 as, as spec, 850 is good. But the number one thing to consider, power frame grid technology. You can read more about that online at, um, at the uh, power frame grid technology website. And by the way, stay on the line. Let Fast Harry get your information. We're going to send you out a Ron and in the Car Doctor t-shirt. Rob, I appreciate the call. I'm Ron and in the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.